Today's scripture comes to us from the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. This is the reading of God's word. Starting next week, um, every service that we'll have, every sermon that we'll have, at least for a month or so, will be dedicated to one of the ministries in our church. One of the things that we saw that was repeated in our survey was there was a lot of confusion or at least uh, uh, unawareness of what people are doing in the church, what we are doing in the church, what the other people are doing in their ministries. Um, Some of the questions that we have, not sure what they're doing, not sure what they're about, who's serving here, who's serving there. And so one of the things that leadership has decided to do is to dedicate going forward every Sunday to a ministry in our church. And in that time, not only will you hear a brief message regarding why that ministry is important, but you'll also get a brief report from a leader of the ministry or from a member of the committee to kind of let you know these are the people that are involved in our service. These are the things that we need. These are the things I've been working on. These are the things that we're trying to do this year and do better and do more. This way, we want to be, I guess, open and to be informed of what everything is doing. And so that's what we're going to be focusing on as we look forward to the next four, uh, five weeks, I guess, or so. But today, uh, I thought, even though this is just the second week of 2024, um, what I wanted to do is to talk about something that's very basic, but I think... Is, is important for us and hopefully an encouragement to you as you think about the next, this following year. Christmas is gone, right? It just went like that in the blink of an eye, right? Uh, maybe it was a big thing for you, maybe you enjoyed it, or maybe not. Maybe it was just another Christmas holiday and then you've moved forward. But if you remember, at least in the churches, one of the things that we celebrate on Christmas Day is the birth of Jesus Christ. And if you think about it, that event it isn't just meant or wasn't just meant to be celebrated on Christmas Day on the calendar year, December 25th, once a year. But that event actually should be remembered throughout the rest of the year. When Jesus was born, what we call that is the incarnation. And if you really think about it, I know we take it for granted because we see it everywhere in our Christmas you know, scenes and holidays and pictures and nativity scenes and so forth. But the incarnation, why it was such a big deal? Why it ought to be a big deal today was the fact that God, the Son of God, became man. And if you really think about this, there is no other religion, there is no other thinking that even comes close to that kind of of truth. And it's really crazy to think about it. If you're a Christian today and you've never wondered about the incarnation, you haven't thought through about what you believe. Because it is kind of crazy. It, It really is. I mean, people have thought about it all along. You know, in 1995, Joan Osborne wrote her famous song, What If God Was 
one of us. You remember that song? Just a slob like one of us, just a stranger on a bus trying to make his way home. Um, People have always thought about it, but no one actually said this is true. But the Bible seems to say that the incarnation is very true. Not very true, but also very important and very practical. Very, very practical. To know that God became man is a very practical thing. Because if anything, the incarnation teaches us, it ought to teach us about one character trait that is so important, not just to God, but also to us. What character trait do you think is most exemplified when God becomes man? And when you read Philippians chapter 2, that answer is this one word, humility. Humility. Humility is a character trait throughout this whole chapter. Now, what's humility? What it's not is this. You know, after service, if someone ever comes to me and says, Pastor Francis, that was a great sermon, my response is always going to be, no, no. It's all right. It's all right. It was just, yeah, it was all right. No. But in my heart, it was like, yes, yes, you know. You know, right? That, that's not humility, okay? This is not the kind of humility that, that, that Paul here is talking about, right? Uh, it, it's more than that. There are four things I see in this passage that teaches us about humility when God became man. First of all, look at what Paul says. He says, we'll do this quickly. It says, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. When God became man, when Jesus became man, when he was born, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. What does that mean? It means this. It means that when God became man, he refused to stand on his own right. He was equal with God, but he did not count it a thing to be grasped. He refused to stand on his right as the Son of God. He refused his right to demand to be treated as he deserves. If he's God and he comes to this world, if that's true, then if I were God, I would say, hey, you treat me with respect. You treat me as the creator of the world. But what Paul says is when God became man, he did not count equality with God. He refused to cling to his own prerogatives, even though he had every right. He refused to come into this world and demand that everyone treat him as he properly deserved. That's humility. That's what happened. It's very different from what we do, because today in our culture, we do the very opposite. We love to fight for our rights. We love to fight for how we think we deserve to be treated, right? For whatever we think is rightfully ours. And that's not a bad thing. But the thing is, so could have Jesus Christ. He could have done that. He had every right. He says, I'm God. This is my right. But Paul says when he became man, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He gave up his rights. That's what humility does. Second thing we see here is this. In verse 7, Paul says when he became man, the incarnation, he emptied himself. Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Emptied himself. What what does that mean? It means that he abased himself. He, He made himself nothing. That means when God became man, it's about status. It's about reputation. Jesus had status. I mean, he's the son of God. Jesus has a cosmic reputation. 
And yet when Paul says he became man, he emptied himself. What that means is he refused to acknowledge his status, his reputation. He removed it from himself. What's reputation? Reputation is not just what you think about yourself. Reputation is what you think others think about you. That's reputation. Now, I know some of us here today, you're cool enough to say, hey, you know what? Well, I don't really care what other people think about me, all right? And maybe that's true for certain people, to certain people, in front of certain people. But after service, if we go to the fellowship hall, and I snuck up behind you, and I pull your pants down so that everyone can see, right? Wouldn't you be embarrassed? Wouldn't you care what people saw? Of course you do. Everyone cares what other people see. Everyone cares what other people think of themselves. At some point, with certain people at least, when God became man, he emptied himself of all reputation. Thirdly, okay, thirdly, not only did he give up his rights, not only did he remove himself of his reputation and status, but verse 7, he says this, he became in the form of a servant. Right? It's one thing to say, okay, I give up my license, I give up my credit, I give up my, my degrees, but then I'm going to be a slave. That's what Paul's saying. Servant here is really the word bond slave. And what Paul seems to be saying is this, that when God became man, Jesus saying, I'm going to be your slave. I'm going to be a servant of the people. Okay? And last but not least, fourthly, verse 8, Paul says, when God became man, he was found in human form, and then he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He humbled himself the point of cross, right? This is God's humility. He gave up his rights, okay? He, he refused to acknowledge his reputation. He uh, emptied himself of all that. He voluntarily became a servant of the people. And last but not least, he humbled himself to the point of going to a cross. Now, look, I know it's Christianese to talk about cross all the time, but you've got to understand, in the culture of his day, dying on a cross was, is no simple matter. It's the worst way to die, not just because physically it was just really hard. I mean, they really did crucify people back in those days. It's not the most painful thing. I mean, it may have been, but probably not the most painful thing. But what the crucifixion was about is this. It's about shame. You are hung so that everyone can see what you've done. You are crucified in front of people so that everyone, you're naked on a cross alongside of other criminals so that everyone would walk by and see the utter shame and humiliation of what you've done. That's what the cross was about. So when Paul says God became man and he humbled himself, it means he was put to shame. So many of us, we live our lives trying to make sure that we are safe, that our loved ones are protected, that we are guarded, not just from physical suffering, but we protect ourselves from even possible shame and humiliation. How well do you know each other in this church? If you've been going to the church, how well do you know? What face do you put on in front of others? Do they really know what you're really like when you're by yourself? Do they really know what you're really feeling and what you're really thinking when, when you're you know, in, in, engaged with fellow brothers and sisters, right? Because aren't we afraid that if they really knew what I am, what I'm like, what I'm really like when I'm thinking on my own, I would be ashamed. 
you knew what I was doing Saturday night, I would be embarrassed. Right? So we cover it up. We cover it up. We protect ourselves from those kinds of things. We try to make sure that even the closest to us don't really see who we are and what we really like, lest we're put to shame. And yet when God became man, he humbled himself all the way to a cross and put to shame in the open. So rights, humility, what does it mean? Paul says, Jesus, when he became man, gave up his rights, uh, emptied himself of reputation, became like a a slave, a servant, and even endured shame and humiliation. That's what it means to be humble. In this letter, Paul writes to this church, and in verse 5 in our passage, he says, you have this mind. Have this mind among yourselves. Have this attitude. And I could end the sermon right here, and I could say, hey, see, this is what Paul's saying. This is real humility. This is what Jesus did. Be like Jesus. All right? Be humble like Jesus. Be humble like Jesus. Let's pray. We could end it like this, right? Because that's what most people get when they read this passage. But I'm not done, right? Uh, I have a problem with that, if that's all you get. If all you hear is, well, here's what humility is, giving up my rights, removing my reputation, being like a servant, put to shame and humiliation, and I've got to be like that, and I'm going to be like Jesus, and that's what it means to be saved, that's what it means to be a Christian, I'm going to tell you, you got it all wrong. You've got it all wrong. There are lots of people who think like that. There are a lot of people who think, well, Jesus is a poor man. Uh, He was an outsider, a wise prophet who spoke against the power structures of his day. And that's all they think about who Jesus was. So when I tell you, be like Jesus, and that's all you get out of a sermon, I might as well tell you, be like Gandhi, or be like Muhammad, or be like Confucius. Or be like Mother Teresa, because all of those people at some level had some kind of humility that's very similar. Maybe not the same, but similar. Here's what I want to make clear. Being humble like Jesus is not the gospel. If be humble and be like Jesus is what it means for you to be a Christian, then I've got some bad news for you today. You and I, we're not going to make it. Because the honest truth is, nobody is going to ever be that good. But that is not what Paul is trying to say. Paul is not saying, be like Jesus and you could be a good Christian, you'll be saved. Paul is writing to a bunch of people who realize that the reason they need Jesus is precisely because they are not like Jesus. Paul is writing to a group of people who are realizing that they need this Jesus because they're not like Jesus. And this is why the incarnation is so important. There's something here that we can relate with, that we can't relate with. When God became man, verse 7 and 8, it says he became like one of us, being found in human form. Let me ask you a question. How is that humility? When God becomes a human being, how is that humility? Because for us, right, Being born a person is not an act of humility by you and me. You and I are not lesser beings because we are born from our parents. There's there's nothing humble about you and me being born as a human being. But the thing here is, it's the living God who made himself manifest in humanity, took upon himself the fullness of humanity, lived in flesh and blood, and for him, that's humanity. Let Let me illustrate it this way. 
because um, we don't relate with this. Many of you have pets at home, many of you have dogs. Um, I do have a cat. I don't like cats, but I do like my cat. But you have dogs, right? And uh, let's be honest, you, you are a pet lover. You will do anything for your dog. You love your dog because you treat your dog as one of the members of your own family, don't you? Right? You, will do, you might even give up your life for your dog if your dog was in danger. But let me ask you a question. You don't want to be a dog, do you? If you do, come talk to me after service. Uh, we got issues. Because we're not dogs. We love dogs. We can protect dogs. We can, we can even give our lives for dogs. But the fact is, we don't want to be a dog. We're not dogs. We're created in God's image. We're human beings. We're people. And we were created by a creator. For God to become man, why would a creator want to be a created? Why would you want to be a dog? Nobody would. And yet, that's humility. This is what Jesus did. Here's my point. Uh, hopefully, we'll get to go to missions again, uh, wherever that might be, whether it's in Cambodia or somewhere else. But uh, it's easy to go to missions. The hard part is because we're so used to comfort that we don't want to go through all the inconveniences. But, but in another sense, serving people is not hard, especially when you're serving a group of people that don't have what you have, that, that live in like dire conditions, that, that are experiencing incredible injustice and pain. It's easy to serve those people in need when you and I are in a position to give. But let's be honest, because you know you're coming back at that trip after one or two weeks, be honest. It's easy to serve, but you would never want to be in the position of those people. You would never want to be in a position of needing help like them. Think of this, okay? For, for many of us, you could give up one of your rights. You could give up one of your rights for somebody else just for a moment, but none of us here want to be that person that have no rights from the beginning. You might ignore your reputation. You might ignore the fact that you, you know, have a reputation, but none of us here want to be that person who has a bad reputation. You could even endure a little bit of embarrassment, a little bit of shame for the sake of your children or for the sake of someone you love. You could endure that a little bit temporarily. As long as you know you still got rights, as long as you know you still got a reputation, as long as you know you're still in this position to give and to serve. You can look out for other people's interests once in a while, as long as you get to keep your own interests. But this is not what Paul's talking about. This is not what Jesus did. What Jesus did, what the incarnation tells us, is not that when Jesus became man, he just gave a little bit of himself out of his reserve. He didn't just lend a helping hand to those in need. When Jesus became man, in humility, he became someone in need. When God became man, he didn't just come to encourage someone who had a bad reputation. What did he do? He became someone with no reputation. Jesus didn't just come to encourage someone who had a low self-esteem. He became someone who was put to shame and humiliation. When God became man, he didn't just help out some people who are suffering. He became someone who suffered himself all the way to a cross. 
You see the difference? Those of us who have a hard time being Christian, what we think it means, and when you say that being Christian, it means oftentimes ethically, like morally. You got to be good. You got to be good. Be like Jesus. Be like Gandhi or Muhammad or whatever. This is good news for you. Why? Because this is why Jesus had to do what he had to do. This is why he had to do what only he could do. He humbled himself, became like one of us, so that like that John, John Osborne song, to save a slob like one of us. This is humility on a different level. This is what the incarnation teaches us. And it was the most unexpected thing, even in that time. Everyone else, every other religion, every other philosophy said this, be humble and you'll get life. Be humble and you'll be blessed. Be humble and you'll receive honor and glory. But here the gospel is telling us this. He's saying, you are not humble. You are not humble. You'll never be humble like this. But I will humble myself to get you life. I will humble myself to give you blessing. I will humble myself to give you real honor and real glory. And that was completely unexpected, even in Jesus' time. Jesus wasn't a God who came to help out a sinner who was far away from God. Jesus became man. He took our sin in order to bring us closer to God. This is the gospel message, that the one who brings man close to God is the one who is both God and man. And his name is Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. That's what the incarnation was all about. The fact that God would be with us, even as I am. God with us. And then Jesus, when he dies on a cross, he is still God with us. Because he was raised on the third day, and what is one of the last things that Jesus says in Matthew 28? I will be with you until the end of the age. God with us. Why do I share this for this year, 2024? Let me ask you this question. Do you have any expectations for this year? What are your hopes? What are you hoping to get? What are you hoping to see? What are you hoping to do this different? You know what expectations are? Expectations are when we think we know what we should be happening or seeing or experiencing in the future. Expectations are what we want to see happen in the future, what we think we know what the good thing is and what the bad thing is and who the good people are and who the bad people are and what the rewards will be and what the punishment will be. We have these expectations. Maybe for some of you, expectations are what you, know, you already know, you already think you know what the outcome should be. That's your expectation. And that's why maybe this year, you're not expecting that much. You don't have much hope because you think you already know what to expect, and it's not much. I don't know what your expectations are this year, but for me, as I think about this, it's not the expectations that scare me. You kind of prepare for yourself. When you know something is coming, you have a little bit of a head start to say, okay, I know it's coming, I can get ready. What scares me this year is the unexpected. The unexpected things, things that you would never imagine happening to you, happen. You know, I, uh, I, I'm getting older, and one of the ways I know this, 
I used to think that when people got older and they got more overweight, unhealthy overweight, it was because they were just being lazy. They just don't work out, they don't go to gym. But I'm realizing that the reason that uh, that happens is not just because they're lazy, it's because your body just starts breaking down. I've got tendonitis in both my elbows now. I can't push as much as I used to. I've got a back problem now. I can't run as much as I want to. And no wonder then I'm, I'm, I'm feeling I'm losing health. Every year, I feel like I'm losing something. You ever feel like that? And this year, I'm worried. I'm, I'm the unexpected. Like, what else can I lose? I look at my parents, and they're getting older. I don't know. I know one day they're not going to be with me. I just don't know when. Is it this year? Is it this year? What am I going to do? Like, oh, how, how am I going to help them? I, I don't know. It's unexpected. I don't know where my children are going to be five years from now. Will they get a job in this economy? Will, will they come out okay? I, I, I'm not sure. What if they get sick? It's so many unexpected things, and I'm just hoping and hoping these things don't happen, but it's uncertain. Those are the things I'm most scared about. What if someone in our church gets sick, real sick? What if one day I've got to do a funeral? I know I'm going to do a funeral one day. I have not done a funeral in any church I've done for a member of my congregation. What if, what if, what if? Unexpected this year, what's going to happen? Every year something happens. What's this year? Maybe you feel like this. My job, my relationship, my marriage, my kids. My home. Sometimes, um, living with unexpectancy or uncertainty is not always so scary. Let me give you some hope. No one expected the Son of God to be born in a manger. No one expected the Son of God to be born to poor people. No one expected Jesus, the King, to die like a cr criminal on a cross. No one, it was totally unexpected. No, no one, no one person, no other group, no other religion, not even his own disciples expected someone to rise from the dead. It was completely unexpected circumstances. And yet, from that, God says there's hope. Hope that comes from the unexpected. Here's what Christian hope is. It's not just wishful thinking. It's not, I hope things don't happen to me this way, or I hope this will happen to me this way. Christian hope is this. Whether or not your expectations are met this year, no matter what unexpected tragedies happen this year, no matter how hard it could be this year that you didn't even think about could happen, it happens this year, no matter. The promise to you is this. You will not be left alone. You are not alone. Christian hope is that we are open to whatever the outcome will be this year, whatever that is, knowing that God is still with us. He is with us. Not just in the boring, expected things, but also in the crazy, unexpected things, good or bad. 
Isn't that the Christmas story? That God, Jesus, came to be with us even in the most unexpected circumstances. That he is with us even now. And that he promises to be with us in the future, the future that many of us are so anxious about. That's hope. Hope is a waiting with a kind of trusting that no matter the outcome, no matter the circumstance or situation, no matter the problems, God is not only with us, but he's still working among us in unexpected ways, and he will keep his promise. I will be with you until the end of the age. That's a crazy thing to do, isn't it, as people? That our hope in this year is not in the Dow Jones in the economy, but it's in the God of Abraham and Sarah. That our hope this year is, is not in our government and who the next president's going to be, but it's in the God of Isaiah and Mary Magdalene. That our hope this year is not even in our ability to be politically correct, our ability to be hopeful, our ability to be good or better. Our hope is not in our ability to do anything right. But it's in the God of the Bible who did the unexpected and promises he'll do that in our future. Through the ups and through the downs, through the joys and through the disappointments, through our own personal unmet expectations, our hope is Emmanuel, God with us, still with us, never leaves us, will work with us and continue to be with us. So let me just end with this and ask you a question. Do you have hope for people in your life? Do you have hope for your family, your children, that things could change and be better? Do you have hope for friends, friends that have disappointed you, friends that have hurt you, maybe even betrayed you? Do you have hope for reconciliation? Do you have hope that work, work will just be work, that it will be something that you could actually be fulfilled in, to do, to provide? Or that you find the right work? Do you have that hope? Do you have hope for this country that seems like it's falling apart, more divisive than ever before? Do you have hope that, that, that one day there will be peace in the world? Or are you the person that's so cynical now, like I am, that you just don't expect anything anymore to change, that everything seems to be like going downhill? So the only question I have to ask is this. If God is with us, if God is with us, is your idea of God big enough? If God is with us, isn't he big enough? If God is with us, isn't he strong enough? Isn't he merciful enough, gracious enough, wise enough? If God is with us, if he is, then no matter what you see in front of you, you always have reason to hope. Hope in him who is with us, hope in him to do what we cannot do. If you believe in the incarnation, that's how it should make a difference in your life. This is why Paul says in our passage, have this mind. Think like this. Not just be humble like Jesus, but think like this, that you have this mind in Christ. You have Jesus. He is with you. Have this mind this year. 
endure, persevere, love, serve with no regrets, and do all things for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we ask for patience. Um, wherever we are in our faith with you, we, we probably recognize we're not where we should be. Even the most mature of us um, struggle like a little child who struggles to walk but always stumbles. Um, we are people who always need to grow in our faith and are knowing you and our understanding, but uh, we are consumed with the task at hand. We are consumed with our desires. We are consumed with what's in front of us. We are anxious and worried. Uh, we want to uh, attain the things that we think will fulfill us, and many times we fail, and uh, there's so many things, Lord, that get in the way. Uh, so I pray for your patience and for your mercy and grace. I pray, Lord, that as we continue to grow, not just older, but wiser, that you would help us really to see what is truly important, what means the most, and recognize hindsight is twenty twenty. You have been with us in the past. You have sustained us through the hardest things. You continue to be with us today. Give us the kind of hope and strength to trust in you for tomorrow, to trust in you for this coming year, to trust in you for our whole future. Turn ourselves away from ourselves. Turn ourselves to you. Give us a kind of faith that says, not me, but you, let me trust in you. I'm not good enough, you're good enough. I'm not humble enough, you've humbled yourself and you gave your life for me. Let that be an encouragement to us today. In Christ's name we pray, amen.